welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the trans-dimensional Matt. Hello there. Well, um, have you got any uh, smart remarks this week? Uh, <laughs> any well, little snide comments? I'll, I'll go off on a little tangent, so... Like I said, well, that surprises me. Whilst I've been off work every Wednesday, we've been streaming a little bit of games on a Wednesday evening mm-hmm. on twitch.com forward slash time nor space pod. And the, the long and short of it is people are, I don't want to say abusive, but less than positive <laughs> towards me. So the, the common three themes this week were basically, where's David? We want to talk to David. He's the good one. And then you're it, kidding. No, no, no. There was, <laughs> you know, people genuinely came and then left when they realised you weren't there. Oh, I, th- well, I think that's, that's they thought touching. it was going to be a proper Doctor Who chat. But then it descended mm. into when I was actually playing the game. I was playing The Last of Us Two. It descended into Matt, you're awful at computer games. Why are you so rubbish? <laughs> um, so what I thought I'd do is just break the news that since then I've actually completed The Last of Us Two. So, oh, congratulations. a big fuck you to everyone. And <laughs> I, I just thought maybe, David, you could apologise on listeners' behalf. <laughs> How are you, what way do I represent but the listeners? If, if we were recording this together in my house, I would make you put a crown on my head and kiss my signet ring. <laughs> and in fact, when I listened back to last week's episode... I said, yeah. oh, I'm maybe going to stream a little bit of Spider-Man, because I was playing that at the time. I finished mm-hmm. that as well, so there's two. Well done. I mean, I I, 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 I I, struggle to see completing a video game as a genuine achievement, but it, it makes me? you happy. <laughs> I've been off school uh, for just over a week, and I've completed one, two, three, four video games in that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will admit, I've completed no video games in that time. You know what I have been doing? Raising a fucking kid. Well, what you need is what my brother calls the dink lifestyle. Have I told you about this before? No. D-I-N-K. Dink. Okay, this is in reference to Peter Dinklage, then. No, no, no. It stands for double income, no kids. Mm -hmm. And it's just the best way to live your life. It certainly has its advantages, I can tell you that, as someone who's, who has a kid and a single income. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it certainly does, uh, does affect certain things, like such as your ability to do anything fun ever. Um, in fact, my partner, we're not really, I'm not, neither of us are particularly memey people, but she shared this on Facebook and, and said, never has a truer meme been memed. And it just said, um, parenting is a lot of getting up after you've just sat down. Yeah. And that really does cut to the nub of it. I the, honestly, the amount of times where we j- just made a cup of tea, he's just he's he's all in his own world. We've got five minutes to ourselves, and then nah, no, we are required. Um, so, so that, yeah, that's a lovely that. story, David. But mm-hmm. it, don't dance around this apology you owe me. <laughs> I refuse. I absolutely refuse to apologise. Uh, our listeners are completely autonomous beings. They can abuse you as much as they see fit. No, don't say that. <laughs> Be my guest, listeners. No, don't say he that. Can, he can take it. He's got a thick skin. 
we did discuss some Doctor Who in amongst it all as well. That was quite nice. Oh, yeah? What sort of good discussions came up? Uh, who's the most famous Doctor Who person you've ever met? Uh-huh. Uh, everyone just seems to live wherever they film Doctor Who. Everyone seems to have a little story about that. Oh, I do. I mean, I probably talked about it on the podcast, didn't I? Um, where the, um, the next Doctor. Uh, I was living in Gloucester at the time they were filming that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I mentioned I, 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 it. I would have been very unlike me not to have mentioned that, because it's one th- of the only interesting things did, about that episode. Did you say you stole some snow or something? Yes, yeah, yeah. So um, that's closest uh, I've ever got. Um, I've never, like, exchanged words. I've never, You know, oh, confession time. I've never been to a Doctor Who convention, or See, indeed... I, I did mention yeah. on stream that it's one of my life goals. To surprise you by taking you to a convention. <laughs> I mean, it won't be a surprise now. Yeah. I, I would love... I mean, we, we have such a low profile compared to other uh, podcasts, but wouldn't it be nice to do a live one maybe one day? Yeah. At, at a convention. I mean, if such a thing as conventions ever re-emerge on the other side of... Uh, the pandemic. I don't Who know. knows? It'll probably just be everyone being nice about you and horrible to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's quite a revelation. Yeah. I always assumed that people tuned in for you, to be honest, because no. otherwise it would just be a undiagnosed but probably autistic man <laughs> rambling on the back. No, I think there was like genuine call for some Doctor Who chat, because <laughs> mainly it was just me shouting at computer games and you know, I died more than once, and then everyone got on my back about that. And I mean, t- to be fair, I think when you reach a certain point in Doctor Who fandom, you are literally insatiable. Like, I-, I know I could quite happily just talk about Doctor Who for an entire day mm. with anyone who cared to engage with me on the subject. But, uh, you know, I-, I would not tire of it one jot. Like, so, one, one uh, of the... Uh... One of the talking points was, without you, I just couldn't remember anything about Doctor Who. <laughs> really? Yeah. So, like, someone was saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I've just been watching the ones with Donna in. And I was like, well, w- w- what is that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I know who she is, and I know that Wilf's around, but I, I couldn't remember any of those episodes at all. Not even the fires of Pompeii? No. No, we, we talked about the fat babies instead. Oh, yeah. Oh, good old adipose. Um, well, anyway, that's probably enough preamble. We've got, I think we've got an absolute cracker of an episode to discuss this well, week. Um, funnily how do enough, you feel about Hyde? When I put it out on Twitter, again, there were, yeah. the listeners were quite negative about this episode. Really? Yeah, it sort of mm. spanned from like ambivalence, just like it's a bit of a nothing, don't really care. Right through to just don't really like it. But I think it's one of the better ones we've watched recently. Possibly Ah. my favourite since Clara's come in. I would 100% agree with that. Um, I mean, for me, I think it's one of the things that I love about it is the fact that it is very much um, inspired by very classic 20th century types of sci-fi, you know. Mm. It's set in in the 70s. It's actually very inspired by the work of one of my biggest... Another confession, you know, I feel like by the end of this episode, I will have to hand my nerd card in. Um, But I have never watched Quatermass or any other work by Nigel Neal. 
I'm aware of his work, his style, and how influential he is. Um, I don't have you heard of Quatermass before? No. Only in as um, much as I've got the Wikipedia page for this episode in front of me. Yeah, yeah. So it's very, this is very much inspired by Nigel Neal and his sort of um, spooky psychological science fiction. And, you know, going to the extent of, like, you know, having... The, the, the moment I realised, the first time I was watching this, that I absolutely was going to love this episode was when it reveals... Um, the prof- uh, Professor Palmer's tech setup, mm. and it's all valves and oscilloscopes and reel-to-reel tech, and just the the look of that that sort of analog sci-fi gear. Well, that's it. I know, I know oh, it was, that's just. I know the episode set in nineteen seventy four, isn't it? Yes. Which it I is, mean, yeah. it's eleven years before I was even born. But it reminded me a lot of the sort of thing I would have watched in my youth. Yeah. You know, where I'd always be watching programs like this where people would be going ghost hunting and they'd just have like a big machine that literally couldn't do anything but looked impressive. Yes, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just... The, the vibe of it immediately gets me on board. And then I really like the way that it... As the episode unfolds, it kind of twists and turns and does unexpected things with it and by the end of it i it to me is a is a textbook example of the kind of television only doctor who could do hmm. well, it's i don't think cause... any other tv show could do an episode or a story like this well last week i, I was critical that like i didn't like the episode because it didn't pull together the big picture and i yeah. wouldn't necessarily say this episode does until like the Not last really. 30 seconds but i don't know i didn't see that as a critical point this week. That's the thing, and I think I think honestly, Doctor Who, as much as the, the big overarching plots plots can be engaging, it lives and dies by how a particular episode strikes you. So if it's playing in a genre that you like, you're more inclined to like it. If the dialogue is really well written and the performance the guest performances are really good and they draw you in, then that helps to Do you know what I mean? It's it's all of those elements about a, an individual episode that can make or break it. Uh and really to me, the overarching plots that's more just that's kind of the the the, 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 the gravy over the meal. It's not it's not what you're actually, or at least what I'm going to Doctor Who for. I, um, I also like the supporting characters this week. They're really good, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. I, I like that it's a, very, it's a very small cast. Yeah. And um, um, Just looking at the lady's name. Jessica Rain, yeah. who plays Emma, is really yeah. good, I thought. She is really good in this, yeah. Um, and, I mean, they both are. I think it's... Yeah, it's it's a very it's it's difficult to to establish such a complex relationship in the space of forty five minutes, and, and when they're not even the sole focus, because you know there are other characters and other things going on. Um, it's not like it's just those people and their relationship is the bulk of the episode, but it's still very. You uh, want I'm one hundred percent by it. Yeah, um, so. Yeah, so I'm glad that we're both more or less on the same page. Here. Like, not maybe not a perfect piece of television, but 
very solidly entertaining and well executed, I think. So, um, shall we get stuck into it? Yeah, so, like we say, it's Hyde. So this is episode 9 of season 7. Or is it? From the 20th (laughs) of April, 2013. Yeah. And it's written by Neil Cross. Yes. So So this is the other episode by... I I was going to pretend that, like... I'd forgotten about that and just cite that little bit of trivia to you <laughs> and just pretend that I knew it all along. But... So, yeah. So, what was the other one he wrote? Rings of Akaten, That's which you it. did not get on with. No. Oh, this is this is infinitely better than that. Mm. To be fair, he wrote this one first. Yeah. So, this is the one where, like, he'd never written for Doctor Who before, but obviously he had been a fan growing up. So, this was kind of, I guess... This was the Doctor Who episode he's always kind of wanted to write. I think a lot of writers who are into Doctor Who have that. I know I do. Mm. I I don't have any aspirations to ever actually be able to write for Doctor Who because I've, you know, that that ship sailed a long time ago. But I still have ideas in my head where I'm just like, oh, if if for ever some crazy reason, like every other remotely capable writer was wiped out <laughs> and so i got the call yeah but it's not hard is it you just <laughs> you just look around your room first thing you see so for me it would be a lever arch ring binder and i just go yeah that's a spaceship and all the files in the world are just bad guys now i wonder if you can guess what do you think my doctor who story would be um it probably i do i do future or historical uh, I think you'd do historical, but you'd do uh-huh. something about a tragic explorer who's lost in time, and at the end it turns out, a bit like this episode, it turns out that he's in love, and everyone parts as friends, and they've all learnt a lesson. Mm. No, it's not actually. I've got a very specific thing that I would love Doctor Who to do, a specific moment in history, um, which I, t- I don't think I'm even going to say it on... on, on no, because people will steal it. They probably will, yeah. But I've got a particular moment in, in uh, the history of the 20th century, just uh, one incident that I think is just perfect for a self-contained Doctor Who story. And it, it is it the nativity? No one's ever done it. It is not. <laughs> is that why you were a bit touchy about the oh, whole Jesus thing in the last few weeks? That, that's going to be. That's my new joke. That's overtaken. Do you remember like this time last year where I just constantly joked you were going to have sex with a cat? <laughs> <laughs> you know? This is this year's one, David the Blasphemer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh dear. Um, but anyway, yes. So uh, hide. Yep. So, there is a storm at a big old house. Yeah. And inside, this is where we're introduced to, is it Doctor, no, Professor Alex Palmer. And yes. And his assistant, Emily Grayling, mm-hmm. who are doing some sort of experiment. Yes. So, it's 1974, that's established at this point. Yeah. And the experiment they're doing is talking to a ghost. Yes. And as they begin to do so, the ghost appears. Now, I'm surprised you weren't immediately rolling your eyes at this, because you're not a big fan of when Doctor Who does Supernatural, because obviously the nature of Doctor Who is there is always a pseudo-scientific explanation for it, and it's not an actual supernatural thing. So but knowing that we're going back to the ghost well... But I think, unlike the other examples, like 
you know, where we saw the vampires in Venice and we saw the werewolf. And yeah. We've seen witches, haven't we? And a Frankenstein. We and we've done ghosts already with Unquiet Dead. Which one's Unquiet? Oh, no, that was awful, though. <laughs> That's the Dickens one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, screw that. But unlike... Well, let's use that as a comparison point. Yes, uh, I think it's an apt one. Un- unlike that episode, the ghosts here aren't, like, dumbed down. They're actually quite scary. Yes. You know, yeah. this This is the portrayal of ghosts that you would see in a Hollywood film. I think so, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll talk more about that. But yeah, I do agree with you. I think they are very well executed, and it actually gets the ghost scares pretty well. Yeah, and I mean... As a bit of a cynic and sort of knowing Doctor Who in the way that I do, I knew yeah. it was never going to be much more scary than that first appearance of the ghost. No. But if I was a child watching this... Well, that that's the thing. You, you Doc, I think the key to really loving Doctor Who is being in touch with your inner eight-year-old. Hmm. And like I say, it's handled properly. You know, like yeah. when we saw... Unquiet Dead, the ghost was just literally a girl floating around going, oh, I'm a ghost, help me, Doctor. <laughs> Whereas on yeah. this, it's like, what the actual hell is it? Yeah, yeah, because you're just, you're getting these weird little glimpses um, and, like, blurry photographs and, like, it's proper Ghost Hunter-style ghosting. Yeah. Yeah. So, the ghost appears, and there's a knock at the door. And I think you sort of led to believe that it's the ghost knocking at the door. But we know who yeah, it exactly. is. Exactly. We've seen so much. We know what's coming. And yeah. it's the Doctor and yeah. Clara who introduce themselves as Ghostbusters. Yes. So I'm a big fan of Ghostbusters. I won't lie. I do think it's interesting that they kind of took. We don't get the. We don't get any kind of preamble in the TARDIS. We don't get, oh, where should we go today, Doctor? Anything like that. They just, that bang, they're in there and they, they know what they're looking for. Mm. That's interesting. And it actually, uh, to the point that you almost feel like, or at least I did when I first watched this, I was just like, this just feels odd. This doesn't feel like the way the Doctor normally works. Yeah, but so what's those going are on the here? And obviously, episodes, the ones where the tone yeah. and the mood and everything yeah. is different. Yeah, I think that's maybe why it stands out. And I'm, I know I talk about it every week, but it's the same as Blink, which is just such a different episode. Yes, yeah, and I wouldn't put this on the same level as something like Blink, but it definitely does feel like the show trying something it's not done before. Mm. So yeah, so. Then we get the titles. Uh-huh. And this is where the episode sort of starts proper. Yes. So Palmer introduces himself to the Doctor. He claims that at one point he was a prisoner of war, but the Doctor knows that he is a war hero. The Doctor, I don't know, does he use the psychic paper to pretend to be from the MOD? Yes. And yeah, he does. says yeah. he's here on health and safety grounds. Yeah. And at this point, they do a little bit of ghost hunting, but nothing too extreme. They just sort of have a look about. Yeah. And we find out that Emma is an empathic psychic. Yes. Yeah. So she's not, She's she can't read thoughts necessarily, 
but she can read people's Feelings. emotions. She can yeah. tell. She can tell when people are lying. Um, again, it's something I've talked about before that I I think people forget sometimes. Um, with in the world of Doctor Who, it has long been established that some humans have some level of psychic ability. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's rare, but this is not out of the blue or it doesn't this doesn't break the world for me in the way some leaps in logic occasionally can with doctor who because um i I mean i i didn't approach it from that perspective but yeah you know even nowadays you have people who claim to be psychic yes i I just thought well she either is or she isn't she could just you know be oh yes yeah it could it could just be i mean really the stretch from an actual supernatural empath to someone like, say, Darren Brown, who is just an expert in cold reading. Yeah. Just an expert in body language and contextualising little giveaway telltale signs and things like that. You know, it's 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 a fuzzy line between those two things. But, but yeah, like, I, I, it's... It's just funny that I, I think about this sometimes because it's like it's the one thing where I I I'm comfortable with Doctor Who firmly going to the realms of pseudoscience, such as but the kind of pseudoscience that people actually believe in. Um, obviously, when it's like the Doctor is just rabbiting on about you know some crazy made up technology or something, that's different to me mm. than just be like, oh yeah, some humans are psychic. Do you know what I mean? That's a different proposition yeah. that the show is making. But for some reason, I'm comfortable with it, where I wouldn't necessarily be on other, on other TV shows. So, um, yeah. Uh, I think as well, it goes a long way that, as we've already said, uh, Jessica Rain is, I think, is immediately so convincing as Emma Grayling. The way she's very sort of closed off. and Yeah, like, she she... She's good at portraying, like, a lot of emotion, but at the same time not really doing much, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it's all just subtle little facial movements and things like that. Um, you know, because as a character, yeah. she's quite introverted and quite yeah. shy almost, not very forthcoming. Yeah. But you're able to read her as the episode yeah. goes on. Yeah. So... They are looking for the Caliban Ghast. Yes. Which is a ghost with the appearance of a lady that's appeared for 400 years. Yeah. Always in the same pose. Always screaming. Yeah. And Emma can hear her calling, help me. Yeah. And so we see like a couple of the sort of, um, the the professor's giving us some little historical tidbits of sightings, you know, in, in the parish records and things and, there are some photos up on a, like a cork board, and oh boy! I mean, I'll be you know. I think I've said before this this program. I'm not really a horror fan. Like the kind of horror I like is the very safe PG level horror of of shows like Doctor Who and Stranger Things and stuff like that. I'm not a big fan of you know the really sort of hardcore horror that a lot of people are very passionate about. Um, so just those photos, those like obviously photoshopped photos of like the, the, the ghost with its like long screaming face, you know, obviously inspired by Edvard Munch's uh, painting the screen. 
um, absolutely chilling for yeah. me. Like it proper put the willies at me. Yeah, um, there's there is well, it's not a very well known horror film called uh-huh. Grave Encounters, I think. Right. And I watched it with my sister-in-law. Just one of those days where. Uh, she was pregnant with my nephew at the time, so we just uh-huh. sort of had like a sofa day, just yeah. hanging out, and it was just randomly on one of the movie channels, and we watched it. Um, and the ghosts in that appear the same, and it, it's one of the scariest films I've ever seen. Really? <laughs> yeah. What is it just about having like a distorted face like that that's just so immediately unnerving? I don't know, but I think that's probably just it. The fact that it is... Yeah. You know, in the same way that uh, I'm trying to think of a like correct way to phrase this, mm. if you've watched, you know, perhaps documentaries about Second World War, for example, and you see some of the injuries there, yes, you know, yeah. it's that sort Absolutely. of disfigurement, and yeah. although it's slightly different here, it, yeah, you know, yeah, it, it, it's it's the only stra- reason somebody's face could be contorted that way is through pain. Yeah, if yeah. That makes sense. yeah. Yeah, it's it's yeah. It just it kind of like just it just trips switches in your brain. Yeah, the f- just um, the fact that it's it's different, if that makes hmm. sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so yeah, so so we get our little rundown, our context for the for the, uh, the 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 legend of the ghast. So the Doctor and Clara then decide they're just going to go investigate by candlelight. Yeah, you know what's the worst that can happen. <laughs> and something appears to be stalking them. Yeah, I think it's interesting as well because uh, um, Clara initially resists, doesn't want to go, and the doctor says, "Oh, come on, it'll be fun." And Clara says to the doctor, "Dare me." Mm. And so the doctor does. Um, again, I, I I only pick that up because. I think that is just another little tiny nugget of telling us who Clara is as a person. Yeah. Like, she maybe doesn't want to do the scary thing, but if you make it a challenge, she, she'll, <laughs> rise like, she'll rise to it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, as we've said, something stalks them and they feel they're being watched. Yes, and at this point we cut back to Emma and Alex, who quite clearly have feelings for one another. Yeah, and we'll probably discuss that as we go through the episode. Yeah, and and the, obviously the thing is, um, as as an empath, Emma Emma knows, you know, she can yeah. read it, it, like she she knows what's there, but um, there's something in the way. Mm. Yeah. Oh, can I just go off on a bit of a tangent? Of course you can. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago where I I sort of went to war on Twitter, just sending abusive messages about yeah. the fandom. Yeah, just, just trying to get a rise out of the entire Doctor Who fandom. Yeah. yeah, well, because I was unsuccessful in that venture, yes. I thought I'd take it up a level. Uh-huh. And I thought I'd hit up Doctor Who on Reddit. Okay. Uh, so I, I just got a message there to say that my, my post has been upvoted. Um, well, that's <laughs> oh, good, because the last message I got said that it hadn't been approved by any of the admins. 
So because well, it was such obvious trolling. I, I went to R. Gallifrey, which is like a Doctor Who fan Reddit. Yeah, it's uh, I. It's an interesting place, R. Gallifrey. Um, I do occasionally post on there. Uh, so um, I, I put a message entitled. Can you help me find... Sorry, help identifying an episode. Uh-huh. And the message reads, Hi folks, I've just had a serious mental flashback to an episode of classic Doctor Who from years back, and this seemed like the right place to ask for help identifying it. Simple Google searches haven't helped at all. In my mind, the Doctor is Tom Baker, which may help narrow it down a bit, though this might not be accurate. And whilst I can't remember a great deal from the episode, I can vividly recall an interaction between the Doctor and a kangaroo. (laughs) Not a kangaroo-like alien, but a real kangaroo. If any of you could point me in the right direction, I'd be more than grateful. Thanks in advance. (laughs) Let's just see where that goes. Alright, yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, Initially, I got a message to say that that had... uh, not been approved by admins. So. Yeah. <laughs> Intriguing. Um, yeah, maybe we'll revisit that next week then. Yeah. But an- <laughs> another important point at this stage is uh, this is the stage of the episode that I pressed pause and went to the shop to buy some sweets. <laughs> I got some, uh, yeah. you know, like generic fruit chews. Uh, yes. You know, yeah. where they're a bit like chew it, but not quite as good. I just yeah. got some of them. I haven't had them in years. They were lovely. Yeah. I'm more of an opal fruits guy. See, I wanted wine gums, but they didn't have any. Uh, I can't get on with wine gums. Oh, really? They're my favourite. They favorites. get stuck in my teeth. No, wine gums are my nah, favourite. Too plasticky. Nah. nah. Give me an opal fruit any day. And yes, I know they're called Starburst now, but it's not the same. No. No. Anyway. Right, so whilst looking for the ghost, the Doctor finds a cold spot. Mm-hmm. And Clara just says, I'm not happy. Yeah. I mean, imagine someone saying that to you. I think the last time I said that was in a breakup with a girlfriend. <laughs> you know? But the Doctor just sort of goes, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean that would that would be crazy. Yeah, I I, I definitely don't just hear that every day from no. my partner. <laughs> exactly. Just just she wakes up in the morning, and just has to be expressed. Like, oh, I'm not happy. <laughs> <laughs> you know the only the only way people say that is if they've got a real axe to grind, but no one's paying them any attention. You know, if I just signed yeah. in today and was like, David. I'm not happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! In that tone of voice, yeah, yeah. I just my 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 heart would plummet. Yeah. Well, I'm not happy because um, everyone was really mean about me on on Twitch. I bet they weren't that mean. Yeah. Everyone was championing me championing for you, and never mind. Anyway, um, so there's loads so, of psychic data going on. There is, and... yeah. The the uh, the like, uh, what do you call them? Those. It, it's like you get them on lie detectors and things, the sort of scribbly yeah. pencils on the roll of paper. Uh, but yeah, those go- start going like the clappers. And it blows all the candles out. Yeah. Then they run about for a bit because apparently she's coming. Uh-huh. And then we get like a weird portal appear. Yeah, I love the effect on this portal. Mm. 
Because it's just sort of it's... floating, levitating. Yeah, yeah, and it's like a mirror, and it's it it really feels like something from another dimension. Mm. It it just it's so out of place and alien like. Um, I've, I've either mentioned the film Arrival before on this podcast. Uh, it's, it's a reasonably well-known, fairly recent sci-fi film. I don't love it. I don't love the ending of it in particular. But th- that film does a really good job of making aliens actually feel alien. Oh, is that the um, one where we all learn to read alien? Yes. Yeah. 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 Just the way those ships turn up and the whole look of them and just... I, I, it kind of gives me a similar sense of just like, oh, this is just something completely out of the realm of human understanding. Um, but yeah, so it's like, and it just starts spinning and spinning, and then it sort of starts to crack, doesn't mm. it? Like a sort of mirror cracking or something. So we see the ghost in the portal shouting, help me. And yeah. the words help me appear written on the wall. Yeah. Doesn't really explain how that happens. It's never alluded to again. Oh, there's lots of the little ghost details in here where where it the the explanation we actually get for the ghost itself it doesn't marry up whatsoever. No, no, not I mean, at all. My my head for it is just that with it being because she's trapped in a pocket dimension, which basically defies all normal laws of space time to begin with her thoughts are basically just sort of like her thoughts, her physical being, etc. It's all just kind of spitting out at random, mm. almost manifesting in whatever way it can on our reality. So that's kind of how I, so that's how I explain things like the writing on the wall. Cause it's like, she's thinking that she's shouting that she's trying to get that message through and it, it finds some tiny crack, some way through into the world and, manifests his writing on the wall mm-hmm. but the doctor doesn't say that that's just me yeah <laughs> like doing the episode's work for it yeah so <laughs> in fact the doctor just goes for a little chat with alex they go develop some photos they've taken yeah i really like this scene yeah because we find out alex has got like survivor's guilt yes because yeah. although he pretends he was a prisoner of war and the doctor knows he's a war hero you yeah. know, he talks about how he's seen so much death and, yeah. you know, it, it's a well and, done scene. Absolutely. And also it's important to note, because the thing is, he was not, he wasn't like a soldier on the front line necessarily. He was one of the people, one of the high ups, like devising clever schemes and things like that. So he was saying, it's not just that he he saw people die and he survived. He knows he sent people mm. on like missions that resulted in their death. So like that is some, that is a hell of a lot of survivor's guilt to have. Um, so yeah. And, and the, uh, uh, the, the actor, Degray Scott, I don't really, I've never seen him in anything else, but he, he sells that moment so well. Yeah. I feel like. So yeah. there's another conversation going on between Clara and Emma and this is the first time we sort of see Emma let her hair down a little bit and discuss uh-huh. her feelings for Professor Alex. Yes, yeah. Um, but at the same and... time, she tells Clara not to trust the Doctor. Yes, yeah. As she puts it, he has a sliver of ice in his heart. Yeah. Mm. Which is interesting. 
it's not the sort of thing you say, is it? Mm. Well, if you think someone's potentially getting mixed up in in uh, something that could uh, cause them trouble further down the line, oh, but it's it's just a really. She could have just left it at don't trust him. <laughs> she you could know, have. I imagine suppose. if like you overheard me in conversation telling someone that I thought you had a slither of ice in your heart. <laughs> I mean, certainly I would find that upsetting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, instead but, of just I mean, going, oh, he's a prick. Like, you, going to the effort to say... I'm, I'm interested, though. Do you think that is an unfair characterisation of the Doctor? Uh, yes and no. I, th- I, think, I think there's a parallel to be drawn between him and Professor Alex. In that, yeah. you know, the, the Doctor has done what could be considered, you know, cold, callous things. Yeah. But it's, in his belief, what's the greater good in the same way that Alex has. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think the Doctor's necessarily a bad person. He has done bad things. We've seen him do bad things. Definitely. But his intention is always, you know, preservation and peace and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, um... And the, the thing, we've also seen how, without someone there to ground him, how the more chaotic side of him can get out of control. Mm. Um, you know, you think about something like Waters of Mars, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, she's not necessarily saying that like that. To, to, to extend the metaphor that the, the sliver of ice is at the centre of his heart mm. that that is what ultimately motivates and defines him um, and the, 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 the warmer side is just somehow a front and a fiction but just that there are there are layers beneath that mm, absolutely Yeah. so following all these conversations the Doctor and Clara go to the TARDIS Yep. And there's a little bit of banter because Clara's got an umbrella and she says, oh, yep. we, sh- we should have somewhere to put this. Yeah. Is that a Sylvester McCoy sort of joke? Because he always had an umbrella. I'm trying to think. It's not a reference to... Oh, I'm going to get the name of it wrong. There's a Peter Davison story where Turlow picks up the hat stand and it's like one of those hat stands that's got like a ring around the bottom where you could put an umbrella yeah and like pretends that it's some kind of uh awesome weapon mm-hmm. to like sort of terrify some people on this planet to, to um and it ends up getting left there and i'm just trying to wonder god what is the name of that story i'm gonna have to google it it's gonna annoy me okay um Oh, I should know it. Frontius. Okay. It's Frontius. I was, I was, yeah. I kept wanting to say Terminus, but I knew it wasn't Terminus. Yeah. There you go, it's Frontius. That was not worth the effort it took to look that up. No, but it's like <laughs> a made-up word, so... Yeah. I can understand why you didn't get it straight away. Yeah. Oh, man, Frontius. I, I haven't decided how I feel about Frontius. I think it was bad. <laughs> but I'm not. But I'm not certain <laughs> whether maybe I was just watching it in a bad mood. Um, but anyway, yeah. So maybe it's a reference to Frontiers, but I don't think it 
it's a very deep cut if it is. And there are some other deep cuts later in the film, which we will get to. Um, but the the larger point with this is just that Clara is convinced that the TARDIS hates her. Yes. And the, do- and the Doctor tells her off for, like, shaking out her umbrella inside the TARDIS. Like, well, of course she's going to hate you if you make her all wet like that and stuff. So, um, yeah. It, so we get our banter. And this is the p- moment, isn't it, where we get the return of the orange spacesuit. Yes. Yeah. Ah, I've not seen that for a while. Yeah. Good to make an appearance. Yeah. Because, cor- correct me if I'm wrong, the Doctor's plan is to travel to this exact point, yep. but at various periods through time. Yes. To see so what... he starts... Yeah, he starts right at the dawn of... Um... The, yeah, right at the, the the dawn of the planet, basically, yeah. and it's like sort of skittering all the way through to the yeah. present. So this is where we get one of the sort of big moments of the episode, isn't it? Yes. So Clara, I thought at first she was struggling to understand time travel itself, but she's yeah. sort of struggling to understand both her place and the Doctor's place in relation to time travel. Yeah. Absolutely. In the, you yeah. know, the Doctor exists a million years before she was born and a million years after she'll die. Yeah. And she uses the line that we're all ghosts to him. Yeah, yeah. And I, I thought that was really good. Absolutely. It, it puts me in mind of um, the second uh, episode with Rose, uh, The End of the World, mm. where she's kind of trying to wrap her head around the fact that she's in the far distant future and her mum is dead. And then she ends up like having that phone conversation with her with when uh, the doctor uh, soups up her phone mm. to like do the phone call back in time. And yeah, it's it's a similar kind of moment of existential unease well, for, for Clara. For quite a small moment in the episode. It is a big moment, isn't it? Absolutely, and and what the doctor's response to her saying that that humans must all be ghosts to her he says you are the only mystery worth solving mm. now how do you take that do, do you think he means specifically clara that, that's do you think how he I means read it. humans yeah. in general I, I initially thought he was referring to clara yeah i mean i think he probably is mm. um you you can obviously read it as just more his fascination with human beings in general and his, you know, um, as an outsider who has a great affection for our particular planet and stuff. But I think he probably is just talking about Clara. And that's not a... That's not a reassuring thing to say in that moment, is it? No. Again, imagine if I said that to you. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't make me feel loved or yeah. valued or trusted or, or particularly heard or understood as a person. The, the next time someone it's asks me like, how we first met, I'm just going to say, yeah. oh, in my life, David's the only mystery worth solving. To <laughs> <laughs> which I would say you need to broaden your horizons. Yeah. yeah. Probably cause my wife to leave me if I said that. <laughs> um... But anyway, yeah, so you're right. It is. It's a small moment, but it's a big moment. Mm. And it is worth dwelling on. 
Um, and then we sort of get all the revelation of this episode. Comes, yeah, this is the first major turning point, really. So, it's not a ghost. It's a lady trapped in time. Yeah. So, in each photograph the Doctor manages to take of the quote-unquote ghost, position seems to move slowly, and he basically makes like a flicker book, which, yes. you know, it's something like four or five seconds to the ghost, but it's been millions of years... Because yeah. the ghost is trapped in a pocket dimension, pocket universe, and it's Hilatakarian, mm-hmm. who the Doctor seems to know as like a yes. pioneering time traveller, is that correct? Yeah, I think basically one of the first um, human beings to attempt a form of time travel. And obviously it doesn't quite go to plan, and so she ends up trapped in this pocket universe. Yeah. And outside of our in own. the pocket universe, she's running from something that the Doctor doesn't seem to recognise. Yes. So, he formulates a plan to save her, mm-hmm. in which he goes to the TARDIS, and he basically builds, I don't know if you're familiar with, from the X-Men films, he just builds Cerebro, <laughs> which is <laughs> yeah. Professor X's big computer to make yeah. his psychic powers more stronger. I mean, I guess it's a Cerebro. It's a very, it's a, it's a, a very much a pound shop version of oh, yeah. Cerebro. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of clocks. It's a psychochronograph. Yeah. Calls it. And, and he, it's, um, it's got, it's got like a wire training out to the TARDIS. So he's, he says it's like a subset of the Eye of Harmony mm. um, from the TARDIS that, that, you know, is being used. And one of the things that he gets that he needs um, is a blue crystal from Metabulus Three, okay. or as the, as Matt Smith annoyingly <laughs> pronounces it all the way through the episode, uh, Metabolus Three. Is that a classic reference? That is a, an extremely classic reference. That's a Pertwee reference. Okay. Um, and yeah, that's that's one that is very much like just there for the fans. It doesn't matter either way whether you know it or not, but it's it's cool that they they chucked it in there and the visual of the blue crystal on the sort of headgear I think is very effective and mm-hmm. fits very nicely in this story. I just wish someone had been on set that actually knew the reference and could have just <laughs> gently said to Matt, "Can you can you pronounce it Metabelis? like John Pertwee did. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you can't have everything in life. No. So we we get another facet of the relationship between Alex and Emma because he says he won't risk her in order to save uh, Hiller Tukarian. Yeah, yeah. This is kind of he's been very closed off with her, but like this is the first real sign that she really does mean a lot to him. Yeah. So they use the psychochronograph to open another portal. They call it a reality well, don't they? Because at some point yes. the ghost's referred to as the witch in the well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but ba- basically, yeah, it's we are attempting to cross between the universes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the Doctor's sort of like done up in a harness... Yeah, he just pretty much just jumps headfirst through the portal, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, so once he's done that, he arrives in a forest. 
Yeah. Where Hiller sort of immediately just accepts that he's there and agrees they need to work together because there's something in the mist. Yeah, something chasing them. Um, and as they begin running away, they get lost in the woods. Mm-hmm. They, they sort of lose their bearings. They don't know which way to run to get back to the portal. But yeah. Emma uses her psychic abilities to make the house appear in the bubble universe. So yes. not literally move it into that universe, but make a visage of it appear yes. to lead them yeah. back to the portal. So once Hilla makes it through the portal, that sort of weakens Emma. She's used all her psychic ability and the portal begins mm-hmm. to fail. Yeah. So the next bit I didn't really understand because earlier on Clara said, why don't we just use the TARDIS? Mm-hmm. And the Doctor says, oh, well, it'll fail. It can only do like four seconds or so there. I think you said like two minutes or something like that. I think it was slightly longer, but basically... It, w- it was too risky. Yeah. It would, you'd be extremely likely to end up getting trapped. Yeah. But but then Clara just uses it anyway, and it's all okay. Because she thinks it's a risk worth taking. The Doctor, of course he wouldn't risk losing the TARDIS. He'd never, you know, the TARDIS is the most precious thing in his world. Um, Clara doesn't have that connection to it. And so initially we get that thing of the TARDIS like, doesn't even want to let her in. Yeah. Um, but eventually relinquishes and i think because again at the end of the day you know cast your mind back to your favorite episode the doctor's wife yeah i thought about that a lot whilst i was watching this yeah at the end of the day this so much of this uh story ultimately comes down to love and relationships connections uniting people that need each other And the Doctor needs the TARDIS, the TARDIS needs the Doctor. So if what needs to happen is that the TARDIS goes, you know, transcends in, into the uh, pocket do- uh, pocket universe in order to rescue the Doctor, it will do it. And it will even let Clara, who yeah. he obviously is not a fan of, uh, you know, be there to, to nominally be responsible for that but yeah yeah so back with the doctor he says he's afraid as a monster approaches yeah now it's it's called the crooked man on wikipedia yeah i think that was just what they don't refer to it in the script in the production it's never referred to that yeah, on, on the screen so. as, as that but, and uh, as it approaches the doctor says you know you could just kill me you haven't so that means you need me it's trying to piggyback yeah on the Doctor to get through the portal back to our time. Yes. Yeah. And as the monster wants to get home and tries to piggyback on the Doctor, the TARDIS appears and saves the Doctor. So he gets home okay. What do you think of the design of the Crooked Man? Uh, It's pretty horrifying. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's like just got a disfigured face, hasn't it? I'm just going to Google image search. I feel like it's, in some ways, it's a better version of what they were reaching for with um, the Lazarus experiment. Uh, you'll have to jog my memory. That's the one, that's the one where Mark Gatiss plays a professor oh, with an anti-aging yeah. thing. And so in that thing where it's like, 
there is something vaguely humanoid underneath it all, but it's been become twisted and distorted into this monstrous mm. shape. Uh, there, there is a big Finnish adventure called The Crooked Man, uh, starring Tom Baker, but it looks entirely different. It's definitely a yeah. different monster. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess Crooked Man is, you know, it's just... you, you just stealing that from that nursery rhyme, you know, there yeah. was a crooked man who walked a crooked mile, so it's not an, an inconceivable. Doctor Who, if you take in big finish and, and comics and novels, there are so many examples of people having similar ideas or, yeah. or, or taking similar phrases and doing different things with them, so yeah, it's littered with that. Yeah, it's pretty haunting, horrible, because you never really see it. In its entirety, no, they, they they use they use it quite sparingly. Yeah, but, but actually, more effectively than they did in Cold War with the Ice Warrior. I feel like we were you know having a little moan that we didn't see enough of that. Yeah. last week, um, I feel like you see just enough of the Crooked Man mm, in this. Definitely. So we'll wrap this up then. The final sort yes. of scene or two. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we get a little bit afterwards when the Doctor gets home. And it, mm-hmm. Emma realises that the Doctor didn't come to see the ghost, to free the ghost. He actually came yes. to speak to her. Yeah, because um, you remember how I was saying, it's kind of weird how at the start of the episode, they're just there and the Doctor's like, yes, we're off on a ghost hunting. And it's like, mm, that's not really how the Doctor works. No. But okay. Um, and then you get this reveal and all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, actually, you know what, that that makes sense. Um yeah, he just wants her expertise yeah. to get a read on Clara. Mm. And she just says, well, she's just an average girl. Don't worry about it. Do you have any theories yet for Clara? I, I, I'm going to alter one theory, one prediction I made. Okay. So I said, because ultimately Clara is contacted by the doctor because there's someone gives her a phone number. Yes. And I said at the time, I think it's going to be River Song. You did, yeah. I think it's going to be older Clara, who creates like a paradox of her own adventures. So once once she completes her adventures with the Doctor, her final job is to start them again. Ah, so it's like a time loop thing. Yeah. 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 Mm. Interesting. I, Sounds moffaty. I'll give you that. Yeah. I'm trying to think how it can relate to, like, olden days Clara and future yeah, Clara. Yeah, because how, how does that explain um, Victorian Clara or Oswin Oswald in the uh, the Dalek episode? I don't know. She'll probably just, like, fall into the time vortex so she's everywhere. <laughs> everywhere all at once. She's like this ghost, but the opposite. Mm. Um. So yeah, so Clara's just a normal girl. And it turns out that Hella is Emma and Alex's descendant. So yes. when the doctor's yeah. discussing, you know, he says, oh, you, you, you two, you need to get together because here she is. It's your great, yep. and he says, you know, <laughs> great, 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 great granddaughter. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think that's quite nice that they know that they're, scientific endeavours, even though that's not what they're working on, is going to lead somewhere someday. Yes, absolutely. And, 
yeah, it just it, and it's basically this this experience has kind of finally broken down the mar- the barrier between them. It's give I think it's given it's given Alex some closure on his survivor's guilt. You know, I think you know, he sort of he was looking at the 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 ghast as some kind of reflection of death. Mm. I think he'd basically become fascinated with death. That's why he bought this creepy old house. There's a lovely exchange earlier with Clara where she's asking him just like, so you went to the bank and said, can I buy that creepy old house on the moors that nobody even wants to squat in? Um, But yeah, so I feel like his post-war, he just had this kind of fascination with death to, to kind of process his feelings. And he's now kind of this experience has kind of given him some closure on that being like you know sometimes death you know maybe death is just death there isn't anything else that he's got a rational explanation mm. for this ghost so he's no longer haunted by that thought what, what do you think of the resolution of Hella's story like well that she just has to stay put yeah and she just sort of like goes yeah alright like w- would she not be a little bit more like when Rory got blasted through time, trying to do everything to get back. Oh, why Why doesn't the Doctor just say, hop in, I'll take you to the future? I feel like... We, we don't, she's definitely the most underdeveloped character in this story, for, for obvious reasons, but um, my headcanon is that you don't volunteer to be one of the first human beings to attempt time travel unless you effectively have nothing to lose. Mm. I feel like she doesn't have close friends or family. In the same way that like astronauts have to be prepared to never make it back. Yeah. You have to be psychologically prepared for that. Otherwise you don't accept the mission. And this is like that only like even more so. You could get catapulted into any point in space and time and you know and then that's it. You're you're stranded. So I feel like she's, you know, had this thought of just like I can't, I can't go back to the the present without you know, my present without disrupting, you know, time and stuff. So I will just have to make a life for myself here. Um, Maybe she's just in shock, and as soon as the doctor leaves, she just starts she's screaming. Just like, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I also a nice again. This is head cannon, but you know, I wouldn't put it past the doctor popping in on her every now and then. Check how she is. Hmm. I almost feel like she'd be an interesting companion. Yeah. Do you not think? Someone lost like, in time. Or someone who, like, wanted to time travel. Like, you know, attempted to do that off, you know, with disastrous consequences, but is now being given a chance to actually do that for real with someone who maybe doesn't know what they're doing, but yeah. <laughs> at least can can do a passable impression of someone who knows what they're doing. Um so yeah, I feel like it, it. It's very. It's a very quick resolution because they kind of just have to, kind of, just get her out of the way, basically. And then but, we, we uh, get another yeah. ending. It's a bit like Lord we of do. the Rings. There's like five endings. Uh, I don't know. Three. So three endings. The Doctor works out that there's another monster. Yeah. And it's actually the mate of the crooked man. Yeah. And they're separated across dimensions. Yeah. So it wasn't malicious. The reason it wanted to piggyback on the Doctor's escape 
from the Pocket Universe is just because it wants to be back with its friend. So when Clara said, I'm not happy, was that a projection in the same way, you know, the writing on the wall? I don't know. I didn't read it that way, but maybe, actually. That's an interesting thought. You know, thought. it could have been like an emotional projection across... Yeah, because if you go back and look through, there are the occasional little glimpses, like a shadow on the wall and stuff, of the other yeah. crooked man. Yeah, because the, at the beginning um, when we said they're being stalked, that's what it is. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I like that. I th- And again, just thematically, it all ties together in, in this nice little, little package of, you know, this exploration of relationships, how people need each other. Hmm. You know, we can't all just be on our own. We, you know, obviously some people can and do live very happily as individuals. And, you know, I have nothing but respect for people who do. And that's their choice. But for a lot of people, our our lives are in many ways defined by the relationships we have hmm, with absolutely. other people. And uh, I think it's a really sweet story. I love, like I say, I don't think there's any other show where within the space of 45 minutes, you can go from ghost story to time travel story to love story. Well, and they, a love they story say that at the end, monsters. don't they? He says, you yeah, know, this was never a, a ghost story. story. It was a love story, yeah. Uh, we get we get all three and all feel, feel apt hmm. and earned. And I, so I think it's a fantastic bit of writing. Yeah, um, like I say, it's been probably my favourite since Clara's turned up. Yeah, I'm trying to think what else we have. We have, um, do you, are you counting the snowmen? Are we talking like sort of like? Well, even it's better Clara? than them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you see, I, I I've got a real soft spot for the snowmen, but anyway, but yeah. So we've got we've had bells of St John. We've had Cold War. Uh, yeah, Rings of Aquitan, and now this. So yeah, this is a fourth one. I think it's the the, the strongest of those four. Mm. Yeah. Um. So. I wonder then, where are we going next? I genuinely can't remember. I'm looking at uh, it. We right have now. Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS. Oh, yes, we do. That's a, that's a tantalising title for an episode, isn't it? Mm, I think it's going to be, just to go on my weekly prediction, like an old school adventure. You know, like the old films, like, uh, I can't even remember what it's called, The Lost World and things yep. like that. Well, it's a riff on the Jules Verne um, journey to the centre of the earth. Yeah, it's going to be an adventure in that vein, I think. So you don't think we're actually going inside the TARDIS? Uh, well, we might be in the TARDIS, but we've never actually seen what's in the TARDIS. No, we haven't. So, yeah, you know. First time for everything. Yeah, we'll see. It's going to be a rip-roaring adventure either way. Oh, so you're feeling positive. You think it's going to be a good one. Uh, no, I never think it's going to be a good one. <laughs> Do you hope it's going to be a good yeah, one? Yeah, I like to reserve judgment until, you know, it's being a Well, it's one I'm very much looking forward to, to revisiting. So um, join us next week for that, why don't you? Until then, as ever, listeners, thank you very much for listening and cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. 
and thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme. <laughs>